Section 31 of The Three Commanders. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Three Commanders by William Henry Giles Kingston. Chapter 22, Part 2. Not till morning dawned did they return on board. Honest Higson was, of course, the hero of the evening, and it was very evident from the attention the colonel paid him that he was well pleased with his intended son-in-law. After breakfast the next morning, Higson begged Jack to wait till his wedding, which he told him had been fixed for the next day. "'Rather sharp work,' observed Jack. "'Why, the fact is,' answered Higson, "'Madame Paskowitz is anxious to give the marriage a clock by having the advantage of your presence and that of my late shipmates.' and as the young lady did not object of course i was delighted and i hope you will be able to stay jack of course agreed and the news soon spreading round the ship afforded infinite satisfaction it would take more space than can be allowed to describe the magnificence of the fete as many of the officers as could be spared were invited on shore while an abundance of good viands were sent off to those who had to remain on board to take care of the ship the whole neighbourhood were assembled in their gayest costumes. The upper classes were entertained either in the house or in a large marquee erected on the lawn, and tables were spread in the neighboring field for the peasantry and seamen, who, though they could not exchange many ideas, became nevertheless on excellent terms. Everyone indeed seemed to forget that a few months before their respective nations had been engaged in a fierce and bloody struggle the marriage ceremony was performed in a neighboring church though jack who acted as higson's best man did not admire the style of the service and the pictures of saints and bowings and singing he came to the conclusion that his friend was as firmly spliced as he would have been in a quiet english country church and that after all as he remarked him was the chief point to be considered the officers and crew of the tornado made all the preparations in their power to do honor to their former first lieutenant's marriage the ship was decked with flags and the boat's crews who had attended at the wedding requested the honor of escorting the young couple round the ship a barge having been got ready for the reception accordingly hickson leading his bride down to the water embarked and was rowed three times round the ship while the crew manned yards the band played haste to the wedding and the guns fired a salute jack and his officers also had arranged to give a ball on board and invitations had been sent out through madame paskowitz to all her acquaintances the ship for the purpose had been housed in and by an extensive use of bunting the deck had been converted into a perfect ballroom while a handsome supper was laid out in jack's cabin and the gunroom the ship's boats aided by a few from the shore were employed in bringing off the guests and as they danced away merrily to the music of the ship's band few recollected that a few months before the big guns on that deck had been busily engaged in firing on their countrymen it was one proof of many how slight an interest the nation at large had felt in the war which they had looked upon as an imperial affair with which they themselves had nothing to do beyond sending as in duty bound their quota of friends and relatives to be slaughtered Altogether the ball was pronounced a success, and the officers and their guests parted mutually satisfied with each other. Theodor Alma, who suspected that Jack had been the cause of Tom's being speared away, could not help at first exhibiting her displeasure, 
but by degrees he calmed her anger assuring her that tom would have proved a very unsatisfactory husband as he was much too young for her and would in a few months have gotten heartily sick of an idle life on shore and either taken to drinking or run away and that she would do much more wisely to choose an older partner for life on which he naively inquired whether his second lieutenant was disengaged jack assured her that he was wedded to the muses and that he doubted much whether even for her sake he would be induced to break off his engagement but that he would ask him on mildmay's begging to be excused she begged jack to select one of the officers but he told her that notwithstanding his wish to oblige her such not being the duty of a captain of a man of war he must decline interfering in the matter the result was that having bade higson and his bride farewell and wished them every happiness jack ordered the fires to be got up and steamed away down the river greatly to his satisfaction on his return to constantinople he was ordered off to malta where he found julia giffard and her father jack thought julia looked as blooming as ever she acknowledged that the voyage had done her so much good that she thought she should be ready to go back again should he be ordered to england then your father will i hope take a passage on board my ship said jack the admiral will not now object to your doing so but had i the happiness of calling you my wife it would be against the rules of the service and i should very likely be compelled to let you come home by some other vessel julia raised no objection to this proposal and the colonel very kindly said he wished to do whatever his daughter liked jack therefore waited with some anxiety to hear the admiral's decision as to his future proceedings to assist in deciding the point he directed the engineer to make a report as to the state of the engines while the carpenter sent one in respecting the condition of the ship both were of opinion that though her safety would not be endangered by the voyage home she was in a condition to require such a thorough repair as could only be obtained in england in fact commander rogers you have no objection to go home and pay off your ship i presume observed the admiral you certainly have not had much opportunity of allowing the weeds to grow on your keel since she was commissioned and i shall therefore send you home with dispatches when the admiralty will decide whether or not to pay the ship off jack highly pleased came back with the news to julia who the next day took possession of the cabin jack had fitted up for her accommodation this is indeed perfect she exclaimed as she admired the neat chintz curtains and furniture vases and flowers and pictures which adorned the bulkheads i'd no idea that a cabin could be made so nice and pretty the colonel was equally well pleased with the accommodation provided for him and jack felt a proud satisfaction at being able to carry home his intended bride on board his own ship we must leave them to make the passage forgetful of the possible storms and the many dangers to which those who voyage upon the fickle ocean are exposed and follow adair on board the gleam on touching at gibraltar adair saw by the papers that the gior instead of being paid off was ordered to proceed to the cape and as far as he could make out murray still commanded her poor alec he exclaimed i thought he would now be allowed to remain on shore and enjoy the society of his wife there are plenty of other fellows who are not so blessed but would have been delighted to supersede him adair was beginning to sympathize with his benedict friend hoping as he did in spite of adverse circumstances ere long to belong to that fraternity while in harbour he had a strict eye kept on tom 
who, though by this time he had regained his usual temper, might, he thought, if possible, take it into his head to try and make his way back to the Crimea. After getting through the straits and went to the northward of the latitude of Cadiz, the ship encountered unusually bad weather. Instead of improving, it became worse and worse. Two of her boats were washed away, the wheel and the steering apparatus damaged, and numerous other injuries were received. She would indeed have been compelled to put into Cadiz had not the wind shifted to the southward. When setting her close-reefed topsails, she ran on before the gale. "'Well, old friend, our sweethearts and wives have got hold of the tow-ropes and are hauling us along at a famous rate,' observed Desmond to Tom. "'Don't talk about that sort of thing to me,' answered Tom gloomily. "'I have no sweetheart or wife in England to tow me along. I am only getting farther and farther from all I hold dear.' At hearing this, Gerald burst into a hearty fit of laughter. Tom at first felt inclined to quarrel with him, but a poke in the ribs from his messmate, and the word humbug made him instead join in Desmond's cachinations. Adair had invited his midshipman to dine with him, and had by his kind remarks succeeded in driving Tom's absurd notions out of his head. Tom, who really felt grateful to him, talked cheerfully of home, and of the pleasure he expected to enjoy on returning there. It was Tom's first watch. Shortly after sunset, he and the second lieutenant, who was officer of the watch, were seen standing on the bridge. The weather had somewhat moderated during the evening, but it had now come on to blow harder than ever, and the ship seemed suddenly to have entered a wild region of tossing, tumbling waves. Adair had left the deck for a few minutes to obtain some refreshment, for he saw that the night was likely to prove a boisterous one and he intended, as every good commander will do under such circumstances, to remain on deck. He hurried over his meal. Indeed, there was no temptation to spend any longer time over it, as even the puddings and fiddles could scarcely keep the articles on the table. He had rung for his steward to clear away, to avoid that operation being performed by the eccentric movements of the billows, and was going towards the door of the cabin, when the ship received a tremendous blow which made her quiver from stem to stern. At the same time loud cries reached his ears. He sprang on deck, when glancing toward the bridge, he saw a second lieutenant alone standing there. "'Man overboard!' shouted several voices. "'Who is it?' he asked. "'Mr. Rogers, sir,' was the answer. "'He was on the bridge a moment ago, and he isn't there now.' "'There he is! There he is!' shouted someone, and a figure was seen struggling on the foamy crest of a sea." Adair had made his way aft to the life-buoy, and pulling both the lanyards, as he dropped into the ocean, a bright light burst forth from its center. For one moment he gazed at it. He recollected that Tom was Lucy's brother. He had been committed to his charge. Without aid he would be unable to reach the buoy. Could I allow him to perish without an attempt to save him? These thoughts flashed through his mind far more rapidly than it has taken to record them without considering the fearful risk he was running, shouting to his first lieutenant to lower a boat, he plunged overboard, and was seen buffeting the tumbling seas and making his way towards the midshipman, who, catching sight of him, cried out, "'All right, I see the life-buoy, and soon shall be up to it.' Adair, believing that he said this to prevent him from exhausting himself by making efforts to assist him, contented himself by treading water and throwing off his coat, that he might be able to swim to Tom's assistance, should he prove, after all, unable to reach the life-buoy. The ship, meantime, was running on before the gale, 
in minutes which seemed hours passed by before her canvas could be reduced and she could be round it too to enable a boat to be lowered besides the regular boat's crews who stood collected between two of the guns ready for instant service numerous volunteers had come forward as is always found to be the case whenever there is work to be performed the two lieutenants stood together we shall sacrifice the boat's crew and boat if we make the attempt observed the first lieutenant still i wish to obey the commander's orders the first lieutenant and master were both of opinion that a boat could not live in such a sea the discussion was brief but it lost time and every moment was of consequence surely sir you are going to lower a boat cried desmond who observed the hesitation of his superiors you can't be letting my uncle and tom rogers drown without an attempt to save them so myself would go in her even if i go alone and without further remark he sprang to the lee side where several of the crew were already collected i'll go also at all risk cried the boatswain who'll go with me and mr desmond the crew were standing ready with the falls in their hands he selected six of the best men but as they were on the point of leaping into the boat a sea struck her and lifting her bows unhooked the forward fall in the next instant she was dashed to fragments against the side i should be throwing away your lives my lads to lower another boat cried the first lieutenant as he saw the crews running to the after-quarter boat very sad but it can't be helped we must look after the ship or she'll be in a scrape presently by this time the light from the life buoy was no longer visible and even had a boat been lowered it would have been difficult if not almost impossible to find it the order was given to brace round the head-yards the helm was put up and the ship was kept on her course running before the wind several seas struck her carrying away two more of her boats and committing further damage had not the hatches been battened down so tremendous was the quantity of water which flooded her decks that she would in all probability have foundered still the men talked and grumbled and asked whether all had been done that was possible to save their commander and the midshipmen poor desmond was in a fearful state of grief he declared perhaps unjustly that all had not been done and that the ship ought not to have left the spot without at all events searching for the life buoy and endeavouring should the commander and tom have been found clinging to it to get them on board the night was unusually dark so that had the light not continued burning this would have been impossible the weather contrary to expectation again moderated desmond thought that even now they ought to put back and try to find the life buoy he expressed his opinion very strongly to the first lieutenant you are using very unwarrantable language young gentleman was the answer i overlook it as you naturally feel grieved at the loss of your uncle and friend but i am the person to judge what is right to do and i should not have been warranted in risking the lives of the crew even to attempt saving that of the commander poor desmond was silenced and though quite indifferent to the consequences he felt that he had already gone further than he ought to have ventured he was unable to recover his spirits during the remainder of the passage he could scarcely say whether he was most sorry to lose his uncle or tom rogers who was to him more even than a brother from their earliest days with slight intervals they had been shipmates and friends then again he thought of the grief tom's death would cause at halliburton and he had a slight inkling of the engagement between lucy rogers and his uncle and having faith in the tender nature of young ladies hearts he fully believed that hers would be broken 
he had read falconer's shipwreck and remembered the lines with terror pale unhappy anna read as she received the news of palamon's loss at length the ship reached portsmouth and was ordered at once to go into harbour desmond to whom the first lieutenant had been very civil during the remainder of the voyage asked leave to go on shore that he might communicate the sad news to admiral triton should he be at south sea and get him to break it to tom's family the first lieutenant who also knew of adair's engagement to miss rogers very willingly gave him leave for though he had acted according to the best of his judgment in not making further efforts to pick up his commander he could not help reflecting that censorious remarks might be made on his conduct and he was anxious to avoid any bad construction being put upon it gerald hurried on shore and made his way as fast as he could to south sea on reaching the admiral's house he was at once admitted and ushered into the drawing-room where he found miss deborah and mrs murray seated at the tea-table and almost before he had time to open his mouth the admiral stumped into the room who are you he asked examining his features i know you you need not tell me you are my old friend patty adair's nephew i remember him when he was much younger than you are and your jibs are cut much alike he sent you with a message i suppose paying off his ship he couldn't come himself we shall see him soon however he'd have come fast enough had he supposed that a certain young lady was staying here not till now could desmond get in a word i am sorry to say sir that i bring very sad news answered gerald and he briefly described what had occurred the admiral who had been standing up tottered back into a chair as he heard it i won't believe it he exclaimed at last your uncle and tom can't be lost poor poor lucy and my friend sir john and lady rogers they'll be dreadfully cut up at the loss of that fine youngster tom it mayn't have been your fault desmond but i wonder you didn't try and save him i'd have risked my own life to do so sir answered gerald and he explained more fully all that had taken place i must go on board and make inquiries about the affair exclaimed the admiral deb help me on with my greatcoat pray do not think of going admiral it is too late in the day and you are not fit for such a walk said the old lady without moving from her chair desmond had remarked the wondering way in which the admiral had spoken as also there was a great change in his appearance he assured him that there was no possible use in going on board and persuaded him at length to give up the idea he grew more quiet and reasonable after he had taken a cup of tea and observed with a sigh that it was high time he should slip his cable since so many of his younger friends were losing the number of their mess and now youngster he asked what are you going to do with yourself when your ship is paid off which i suppose she will be in a day or two have you any friends to go to desmond owned that without his uncle he should be very unwilling to return to bali Macree, and he thought that the best thing he could do would be to get afloat again as soon as possible you are right youngster depend on that said the admiral but in the meantime you must come and hang your hammock up here and my sister deborah will take care of you desmond of course accepted the admiral's kind offer and made himself very useful by walking out with the old man who was now unfit to go out by himself while he also made an excellent listener to his long yarns the next day mrs murray who sympathized greatly with poor lucy and sir john and lady rogers wrote to mary that she might break the intelligence to them which they thus fortunately heard before they saw it in the papers 
desmond found that murray had sailed but a short time before but was expected back again shortly when mrs murray hoped that the ship would be paid off some time passed away though desmond frequently spoke of trying to get a ship the admiral always replied that there would be time enough by and by and that a spell on shore would do him no harm they were one day walking across south sea common intending to go to some shops in the high street when desmond caught sight of three officers whom he saw by their uniforms were commanders walking along at a rapid rate towards them a fourth in a midshipman's uniform at that moment came up from behind them the admiral had just before stopped to take a breath while he leant upon desmond's arm the astonishment gerald felt made him gasp almost as much as the admiral when he recognized commanders murray and rogers and his uncle terence with tom rogers both of them as alive and hearty as they had ever been he could not restrain a shout of joy as the fact burst on his mind though the admiral's arm prevented him from rushing forward as he was inclined to do i knew it i was sure of it cried the admiral as he shook the hands of the whole party now let me hear all about it we'll not go into portsmouth to-day desmond come back with me come back with me you'll make the ladies as happy as crickets and restore my little friend lucy to life by the last account she was in a sad way sir john and lady rogers are very little better grieving over you you rascal tom poor mary had enough to do in looking after them now i think of it lucy was to be with us this very day so you are in luck adair though we must break the news to her gently or we shall be sending her into hysterics and doing all sorts of mischief as for you murray i'm pretty sure are eager to see your wife we'll let you go on first for she expects you it won't have the same effect on her murray gladly followed the admiral's advice and hurried on to his house leaving the rest of the party to stroll slowly along adair then narrated the wonderful way in which he and tom had been preserved tom though a good swimmer was almost exhausted when adair made his way up to him and assisted him to reach the life buoy of which they both managed to get their arms to their dismay they saw the ship running away from them till she disappeared in the darkness at length however they again caught sight of her as she rounded to a long way to leeward the light burned but dimly amid the mass of spray which surrounded it and they knew that their voices would be drowned in the loud howling of the tempest should they exert them ever so much they waited therefore still hoping against hope that the ship would make her way up to them adair well knew the difficulty she would have in finding them and the fearful danger there would be in lowering a boat he even doubted whether he would have made the attempt himself still neither he nor tom gave way to despair they both hung on securely to the life buoy and felt little or no exhaustion they kept their eyes fixed on the ship believing to the last that she would stand down to them at length she disappeared in the darkness and adair knew that his first lieutenant despairing of finding them had borne up i did not blame him for i knew he had done his best he said my only fear was that an attempt had been made to lower a boat and that some of my poor fellows might have lost their lives in trying to save us hour after hour went by tom kept up his spirits wonderfully and i did my best to keep up mine and to cheer him i thought of a good many things during that period indeed it seemed to me that i was living my life over again we were looking out anxiously for morning in the hopes that we might be seen by some passing ship when tom cried out that he saw a steamer standing right for us she came near we shouted at the top of our voices which were still pretty strong 
when not half a cable's length from us, what was our joy to see her stop her way and alter her course so as to avoid running us down. When just abreast of us a boat was lowered, and on being taken on board, great was our surprise to find ourselves on the deck of the Geor. It was only equal by that of Murray at seeing us. We had no opportunity of sending home information of our merciful preservation, and as Murray had to sail again at once, we, as you see, were the first to bring home intelligence of our safety. "'And thankful I am, my boy, that you have escaped,' exclaimed the Admiral, again wringing Adair's in Tom's hands. "'Well, Commander Jack, and what have you to say for yourself? I suppose you will be starting immediately for Halliburton? That must depend upon the arrangements of Colonel Giffard and his daughter, who took a passage home in my ship,' answered Jack. "'My belief is that they will return home shortly.' to make arrangements for an event which is to come off early next month, which is no other than my marriage with Julia Giffard. Adair has promised to be my best man, and I know I may trust to your coming, Admiral? Not unless Sir John and Lady Rogers consent to allow Adair to take a leading part in another event of the same description, and I will now tell you, Adair, what I've done. I have left you half my property, provided you marry Lucy Rogers within six months, that is to say, if she wishes to have you, or, in case you should decline, I left it to her to console her for your ill-treatment. You are indeed most kind and generous, exclaimed Adair, wringing the Admiral's hand. As to that, I don't know that it is any great exertion of generosity, answered the Admiral, considering that I can't take my money away with me, and that I have no relative except Deborah to whom I am bound in any way to leave it. She'll do what she thinks fit with the other half, either will it away to a hospital for dogs and cats, or leave it to those whom she thinks it may most benefit. The meeting of Adair and Lucy need not be described. Murray and Jack paid off their ships, when the former, instead of returning immediately, as he had intended, to bear Chaldean, accepted an invitation to spend some weeks at Halliburton. The double marriages took place, when after the pleasantest time they had ever spent together, the three commanders separated, murray going with his wife and family to his highland home where shortly afterwards jack and terence who were on their wedding tours paid them a visit ben snatchblock who had been appointed to the charge of the stella had got her trim and taut as ever and many a pleasant cruise did the old shipmates take together on board her sometimes accompanied by their wives and sometimes alone which proved the pleasantest trips of the two we cannot venture to say but undoubtedly on the latter occasions there was more fun and frolic on board the craft, while many a yarn of old days was spun, in which Ben took his part. They were all indeed supremely happy, with no cares or responsibilities to trouble them. But the pleasantest of times must come to an end, and again the old friends parted, Jack and Terence going south with their brides, to finish their promised rounds of visits, while Alec and Stella remained at Burkaldine very naturally hoping that nothing for a long time to come might compel them to leave it. End of section 31